two weeks notice, but on the 24th of June, we will not have a Wednesday noon lunch because of our vacation Bible school is going to need all of this meeting space, which is exciting. And um, so we're going to just cancel that particular Wednesday, but it's just for that one week. Now, as we meet today, there's a number of people that are normally right here with us that are not because they're being treated with chemotherapy and radiation. But Joe Wall, that normally sits in the back corner table, has a tumor that is not malignant, and he is receiving both radiation and chemotherapy. We could pray for uh, Joe. And Fleet Maddox, that normally sits right here, with Katie, has uh, cancer and is being treated with chemotherapy, and it's their 29th uh, wedding anniversary coming up, so they've gone to the mountains uh, for that. One of the men in our church, Bill Meyer, who has leukemia, uh, has uh, been in ICU for some time now, and we need to pray for him. Then there's just a number of other names of people uh, that are dealing with some very serious illnesses in our church. So let me pray for us as we begin. Our great God, you know all these things, and there's just countless millions of your children that you've carried through all of these things, and sometimes you use that to bring them home, and sometimes you use that to draw them closer to yourself and leave them here for a, a further time. But we know that all of our time is in your hands, and you are our good and gracious and loving Heavenly Father, and you have told us that in all situations underneath us are your everlasting arms. Now we pray for Joe and pray that you would allow all the treatments that he is receiving to deal with the tumor and that he can quickly recover. We pray that you would be with Fleetwood Maddox and help the doctors and all the care they're giving him, that you would give him a meaningful extension of his life. We pray for Bill Meyer and we pray that, uh, Father, that you would touch him uh, we know so many people with leukemia that have recovered have gotten just very low before there were reversals. And we don't understand that, but we've seen it happen repeatedly. And so we want to pray for Bill and Becky and for Becky and Bill's three daughters and B Bill's sister, Peggy. Those are all up there at the Emory Hospital that you would be merciful to them and that you would touch him and begin a big turnaround in his uh his uh, dealing with this leukemia. Restore him to our church family would be our prayer for him. And Father, there are just a number of other people that we would lift up to you. And each of us have people, family members and personal friends that we pray for each day. And we pray for their comfort, their healing, but mostly that you would be near them and they would know your peace. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last night I turned to the Presbyterian Church in America's General Assembly. It's uh, being streamed online. 
had some difficulty getting to the site and getting it active, and I've had even more difficulty since I got down here to the church using the church computer to stream the General Assembly. But Roland Barnes, one of our um, men that was a part of this church years and years ago, was up there at the microphone making a nomination for the moderator of the Presbyterian Church in America. His uh, nominee was not elected, but Roland gave a very good and um, very thorough presentation of this man's ability. This year, our General Assembly is on the alteration of uh, having an alternative of having a ruling elder moderate the General Assembly, and the man's name is John Worth, and he is from the in-town community uh, PCA Church in Atlanta, Georgia. As we look um, these weeks, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and speaking about Christian love. And Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, I shared with you last week that I was doing a wedding a couple weeks ago, and this uh, passage, Love is Patient, that was what the bride wanted covered. And I made the comment in the wedding that love is always dynamic. Love, as we see here in the scriptures, needs to be understood. It's not something that we have. You know how we today romantically talk about, quote, falling in love. And that idea oftentimes becomes a static thing because people who fall into love, what happens often? They fall out of love. That's a static idea. But Christian love is always a dynamic thing because God's love is always, this is the reason it's dynamic, God's love is always at work in us. Now, what we also have to understand is if we see somebody across the table or, you know, laying beside us in bed, our mate, or in the next room because they're our children, and they name the name of Christ, love, God's love is dynamic in their life as well. We have to understand that. God's love is what's making our life, but God's love is what's making the other Christian's life as well. That dynamic is always working in everyone who names the name of Christ. Now, Paul's goal is that when we see love, that we need to see that it's the primary goal that God has in our lives that he wants us to seek his love, 
to be manifested in us and all that we would say, all that we would think, and all that we would do. Now, again, we talk about a passage like this where the way Paul's writing this, it's not with any pronouns, it's not you should love or we should love, and when he uses the word I, Basically, he's making this a personification, and love is being personified here. It's about what love does. Now, when we understand it that way, what Paul is talking about is a portrait of God the Father. This is the way our Heavenly Father is. He is patient and kind toward us. Now, that idea in words sometimes still seems rather remote. And so Christ Jesus comes into the world and is incarnate. And we see the language that's used about him. He has done all things well. He went around doing good. He, wherever he touched, he, he, he changed people's lives for the better. When the people gathered to him and he opened his mouth and began to speak to them, he began to bless them. And so whenever we see the Lord Jesus Christ, he is giving a body to the Father's love as it's represented here. But then there's another dynamic to this, and that is that all that Jesus came to accomplish for us the Holy Spirit is working in to accomplish in us. The idea that Paul is talking about is that these things, true of the Father, true and represented in Christ the Son, would become, by the work of the Holy Spirit, truly representative of our day-to-day -day character. This is who we are to become by God's grace. Now, there's churches in general, and then there's this particular church, the Corinthian church. And this church has a great need to act in love. This church is a church that has problems. That's interesting when you start to look at the other letters that Paul wrote. The Galatian church had theological problems. The Philippians church had theological problems. The Colossian church had theological problems. But the Corinthian church had interpersonal problems. The bulk of what you find in reading the, the letters, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul's not talking to them so much about the negative influences of of the bad thinking of the world, he's talking to them about the bad representation that they are being of Jesus Christ in their part of the world. And he was wanting to correct that. And, and so when you see any of these words that's used here, it, it's almost as if he's saying, you've been acting differently and you need to act as I am portraying this in the sense of what love is. Now that's not different from us today. Mary Ann's sitting out there and you've got 
elder here from a church at Lake Oconee, and you've got a lot of us that are here, and an elder from down at Houston Lake, and other churches are represented. Now, you know what in our culture today everybody's trying to do? Every one of our churches, I don't think there's one that I know that's really not this way. We're trying to fix it. We're all trying to do something about the nature and the work of our church. We're trying to figure it out so that we can do better in the way we minister in the world. And I I would say that that's absolutely true here of every person that's in any church that's represented today. But you know, what we tend to find today is this. The fix comes through changing personnel. Or the fix comes by a better vision. Or the the fix comes by new or expansive or refined programs. That's where we're all looking. We're, we're, We're dealing with things that man can do. They'll have a human explanation. They'll also have human limitations. But what Paul is saying here to a church, now I want you to understand what I'm saying again. This isn't a church that's got a theological dispute that's causing it confusion. When you get into the beginning of this letter, you've got Paul saying, you know, where I am right now, I've just received a delegation from a family in your church named the family of Chloe. And they've come and they've told me that you've got factions in the church. You've got people saying that I'm a follower of Paul. You've got others saying I'm a follower of Apollos. Uh, They use the word Cephas for Peter. And then you've got the super spiritual people. And they're, they're not a follower of any of these guys. They're saying I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And all of these people are just kind of not on the same page. There's something that has come into their church life that has caused them to be schismatic or factionist or something of this nature. And it's a bad representation. It's a bad representation in the world. And so what Paul is doing here is saying, how do we correct that? And the way that this is corrected is by the presentation of God's love is the overall way in which God wants to advance the church. Again, men rejoice in plans, program, and personnel. God rejoices in our love. Now that's, that's really what we need to think about. We think plans, programs, personnel, good church. God's saying, good church, you love one another. I want you to think about yourself for a minute. But I also want you to think about the person next to you. When we come out of darkness into light, when we sincerely recognize that we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what God does is he takes us. Now, I want you to understand this. He takes us and puts us on a pedestal. We're called the elect. We're called the people that he's chosen out of the world. We're called unique. There's a number of different words that 
of the various New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit use to talk about this. You become absolutely special. You're a child of God. You know, there's a way that Paul begins almost every one of his letters when he talks like this. You remember what he calls all the people he writes to? They're saints. Now, when we think that somebody is a saint, what do we do with them? Well, we put them on a pedestal. <laughs> but what God does, whenever we're converted, God puts us himself on a pedestal. And we become the special objects of his love. Now, I think that what we all understand is that we have a strong propensity to get off the pedestal ourselves. And people worry about that a lot. And I, of course, I concern myself with it. You see people straying away, and you, you, you want to tell them, you need to go and get back on your pedestal. And that's well and good. But in reality, what's going to happen is if this is a child of God, God's put them on a pedestal and they get down off a pedestal, what's God going to do pretty quickly? What's he going to do? He's going to pick them back up. He's going to put them right back on the pedestal. That's what God's going to do. Now, all this to say, do you want to love more? Do you want to be more like this passage is talking about? Would that be a good goal for you? Would this like to be the outcome you would have? Here's where it begins. It begins here. It doesn't begin anywhere else. If you want to really love like this, you're going to have to believe you're loved like this. If you don't believe you're loved like this, there isn't anything I'm going to be able to do to convince you. But if you can ever come to grips with, I'm loved like that, I am so loved that no matter if I hop off the pedestal or grab it like a fire pole and slide down the thing to the ground and go running off somewhere and doing something stupid, which prone to do it. Remember that song? Prone to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, prone to wander. And then what's the Lord do? Picks us right back up, puts us right back on the pedestal. Do you believe you're loved that much? It's only as you come to grips with that that this love really, really, really is going to grow because the more you know you're loved, the more you're going to know you're able to love. So that's what Paul's talking about here. He's telling us about how loved we are. Now, in speaking this to a local church, what Paul is doing is he's talking to the individual lives that make up that church. And he's, he's trying to get them to have the goal in which these people look at all the problems that are coming up. There isn't any culture without problems. There aren't any churches without problems. And there isn't any person in the church without problems. We all have problems, but we look at them through the lenses 
of God's love all the time. You know, some of the uh, members of this church were, in fact, patient. It says love is patient. Some of them were patient. They probably weren't some of these other things, but they were patient. But what is patience, and why is it first? You thought of that? Patience is first. How are you? Are you patient? You think you're patient? I don't know. What if I told you that patience is a bigger deal than you think it is? How about if I want to convince you, biblically, it's a much bigger deal than you think it is? Well, let me try it. In Colossians chapter 1, down around verse 10, 11, there's a prayer. It begins in verse 9, goes down through about verse 14. But in that prayer, here's what Paul prays. I pray that you would know the power of God's glorious might working in you. Now, normally, if we heard a language like that, we would think, well, God's glorious might working. Well, that would be to defeat ISIS. Or that would be to help a missionary get the word out in some tribal area. Or that would be to help Billy Graham pull off a great crusade. Or something. I mean... Do you all go around building sentences like that with that much, that many strong words connected one after another? Not typically. We would say that this is superlative to the hyperbole. Why would Paul talk about, in one phrase, the power of God's glorious might working in you? For what reason? For the reason that you'd be patient with one another. It sounds like patience is a bigger deal in a more necessary commodity than we normally would give it credence to. Maybe it would even be that we need to think about our loving being more demonstrated in our being more patient. You know, when you get to um, Romans, early chapters in Romans, it talks about God's patience. It talks about God's patience being there because God's not willing for any to perish. And he's being patient. You know, it talks about God's patience during the times of Noah. God was patient during the times of Noah. And you begin to get the sense that God is, one of the God's great attributes is that he's patient. He's patient with you and me. Now, all of us grow at a different rate. All of us grow in sort of different directions. 
All of us grow, really, because God has different purposes for us. But we all need to understand this idea of growing in being patient. How many people have you known and how maybe guilty have you been yourself of being impatient with God? I have got lots of friends who basically they don't even know that they can trust God because they've been praying for a brother or a sister or a child forever and ever and God's not doing what they want God to do when? Right now. You know, what we find is that God is working. God's working. We just need to be patient. Don't be impatient. God's working. Um, I want to say it was George Bush, 41, who is now, what, just turning, I think he's turning 92, and his wife just had her 90th birthday. I think that's right. Wasn't he the one that when people were being impatient, he talked about Henny Penny? There's a couple of the politicians a few years ago. Everybody's Henny Penny. What's Henny Penny worried about? The sky falling. <laughs> yeah. The sky's falling. Well, it hadn't fallen yet. God's patience. God's patience. God's at work. God's at work. You know the dumb bumper sticker? You know which one I'm leading about? It's all a series of letters. Please be patient with me. God's not finished with the guy in the car next to me yet. <laughs> no, we don't believe that one. <laughs> be patient with me. Me be patient with them. Nix. 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 But this is this is what we're we're seeing here. This is incredibly important that we learn to be patient. Patience takes time. Some people get off the pedestal of God's love. They become impatient and demanding and rigid and inflexible. We need to watch ourselves. Kind. Love is kind. Now, when we talk about God's kindness, it needs to be mirrored in our kindness. We talk about people that engage themselves in acts of kindness. Now, seldom is the word act Singular. Acts. Multiples. Acts of kindness. That's the way we think of it. In other words, you don't know that a person's necessarily kind until you see sequence and repetition. 
and that this manifests itself over and over again. And then all of a sudden you begin to, to recognize this person. This is a person that if I'm going to be around them, I can basically think that I'm going to be treated how? Kindly. Now, where, do, where does that most exemplify? And that's in our Heavenly Father. He is so kind. What are we saying? Count your... Name them, name them one and move on? Oh. If we go back and we begin to think of seeing all the things that God has done to us in his kindness. And we're supposed to mirror that. We're supposed to be involved in, in our church in being people of kindness. Now, I've used as an illustration of this repeatedly this wonderful couple that I met down in um, Gulfport, Mississippi, Ed and Eleanor, and I walked into their home and there was stuff. My wife gave up thinking I had stuff <laughs> when she walked into that house. You would go in there and there would be this whatever it was on the mantle. And Ed would almost swoon with saying, I remember when I saw that, and I just knew Eleanor would love this. Now, about half the stuff in the house was representative of Ed's love for Eleanor. Just, and I mean, some of this stuff was stuff you would think, why in the world would anyone ever bring anything like that home? But Ed knew that this, if you could say it this way, would float Eleanor's boat, and he brought it home. Now, what did Eleanor do? Here's an example. He was a physician. They were stationed in Italy. The women went on an art trip, and so they went into a part of Italy where they were uh, quarrying stone for statues. And she saw this block of marble. It was more than two feet high, and it was not quite a foot square. And she just looked at it, and she said, Ed would just love that. Now, what do you think it took to get that in the trunk? <laughs> what do you think it took to get it from Italy to Gulfport, Mississippi? Not just on the movers, but the people who own that piece of rock. He made it into a sculpture of his wife. It was unbelievable. He did it. This is what we're talking about in a marriage. You look out and you think, oh, Pat would like that. Pat comes back and the other day I said to her, she says, I said, Father's Day's coming. Now they're always always on me. What do you want for Father's Day? And I think, I don't want anything. So, this year, I started early. I said I want a really powerful pair of binoculars. Well, 
I got about a 45-minute exhausting lecture that I have tremors. Now, this is the first time my wife ever mentioned to me that she recognized that I have tremors. And I guess I tremor from time to time, but I didn't want to hear about it. But this was an explanation on why I shouldn't get what? Powerful binoculars, because you're, you know, know, uh, so, okay. Well, I kind of gave up. Life moves on, and so did I. And then Pat says, I ordered your binoculars. Do you know she hasn't hardly had those things out of her hands since they showed up? (laughs) Okay, we've got to understand stuff like that. But what Pat does for me, I need to do for you, and you need to do for one another. It may not make a lot of sense, but we need to be kind to one another. This is what he's talking about here. Now, if you had a church that had no more than these two things going on, how much trouble are you going to have in that church? Not much. So we were patient, we're kind, we're not envying or boasting. You know, when a person's envious, they lack satisfaction. That's the problem. When a person's envious, they're seeing things that they want. When a person's boasting, they are overly uh, self-satisfied. They're thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Love does not envy or boast. If I want what God has not given me, or if I want what God has given someone else, I I don't want them, I want to be better than them. And that's kind of where envy gets us. We should watch against that. If I feel that I have what I have is better than what others have, then I don't want them either. I don't need them. I can stand on my own without them, or so I think. And I think of myself more highly than I ought to think. I used to go to lunch with an old Presbyterian minister from First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. I hope I don't get like this, but Two or three or four of the elders in the church had taken it upon themselves to go down to the Admiral Benbow restaurant and said, if the old guy shows up, his meal's on our tab. Not a bad deal. But if I went with the old man, the old man told me, now, John, now, John, you'll have to remember, this is going to be Dutch. And I could go on and on about all the times we had with one another. But there would hardly be a time that he wouldn't almost fill up with tears as he talked about how good God had been, that he said, what is it that we have that we have not received? 
Now, I want you to think of that. What is it that we have that we have not received? God has given to each one of us what we need to make us what we should be. And we should be thankful for all that God has given us. And we've all been given more than we can give thanks over. But we need to give thanks over it, and we need not worry about other people. And we need to let God develop us with what he's given us, but then, too, we've got to be generous towards others, maybe that don't have as much as us. We want them to develop as well. What is mine that God has given me is not exclusively mine. If he's given it to me, it's a gift. It's a gift for me to use in the life of my family. It's the gift for me to use in the life of this church. I'm going to close with this because it was really quite cute. A couple weeks ago, someone called me. They says, got a car over here. A guy wants not much for it. I says, I'll be there. So I showed up, looked at the car. Made one phone call to a young man whose parents attend this church. I said, Chris, this car's down here. He says, I'll be down Monday. He came Monday. He went over. He bought the car. He came over to my place. I showed him all my wares in the basement. He bought two seats. So, he skinned me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two for the seats. How was I doing? Was that okay? Now, what do you think I did with it? Gave it to Pat. I showed him this other junk. Now, I I swear to you that this is the gospel truth. Here's a box of junk that someone sent me from West Palm Beach, Florida, over 20 years ago. Now, what's my wife thinking? Why is this box of junk following me? (laughs) The guy that bought the car and bought stuff parts from me came back on Monday but he brought his partner they had their cell phones they were all out walking through my basement like this you know what they were doing with their cell phones Hmm? flashlights they were looking into every little corner man. they were looking at every little corner they collected all this stuff off the shelves and uh, places that I had it hidden, and they brought it out, and they says, well, how about this much money? I said, uh-uh, <laughs> that ain't enough. <laughs> the guy says, I ain't got that much cash. I'm going to have to write you a check. <laughs> I didn't pay one cent for any of it. <laughs> This is all nonsense. When I saw it on a car that was being thrown out, 
I pulled it off and put it in the basement. <laughs> and my wife's going, why do you have all this stuff? What, are you sh- what does she think? What do, you, what do you think happened to the check? It went straight up to Pat. <laughs> I want you to see that I'm, she needs to be patient. She needs to be patient. Look, we have got to laugh at stuff like this. You've got to laugh at it. When those guys walked out of there, there was only one complaint that Pat had. You know what it was? Well, they didn't take enough. <laughs> I looked at her and I said, don't worry, honey, they'll be back. And they're going to tell their friends where they got what they got and what they saw. You know, you don't like people going through your closets, do you, with a flashlight? I love it. I hope they see something else they think they need or somebody else needs. And they go and tell them, come down to John's basement and steal all this stuff. I'm sure I could have gotten more. But I hadn't paid a dime for it. How good is God? Look, what do we have that we didn't receive? God's going to take care of us. We need to love him. Let him love us. As we know how much we're loved, that's going to help us love. If you think God doesn't love you, or doesn't love you much, or hasn't demonstrated it enough, It's going to be very hard for you to love somebody else. Let's pray. Now, Father, you loved us and sent your Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And you've promised us eternal life and heaven and paradise with you. If you love us this much at a distance, what will it be like to be loved in your presence? It's going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Help us to live well. Laugh well and love well. In Christ's name, amen.